Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome uh, again. It's great to see you here this morning, and it's great to be uh, singing those songs that we've sung this morning that have already led us in considering the powerful message of our chapter today. Let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Our Lord God, we thank you for your love for us, and Lord, we thank you that you speak to us. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word now, you would give us open minds to consider what you have to say for, to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what comes to your mind when you say the word holy or holiness? Maybe you think of holier-than-thou people who think they're just a little bit better than everybody else. Or maybe you think of someone who seems super spiritual. They're always praying or meditating or talking about spiritual things. Or if uh, Google is an accurate representation of our collective consciousness, maybe you think of images like this. This is the first image that comes up when I plug holy into a Google image search. And you think, oh, okay, hands lifting up to the sky, light shining. If we take it as symbolic of heaven, maybe it seems to be about someone reaching up to God. Oh, okay. Um, well, this is number two image on Google Images. Oh, it's about clouds. It's about pure blue sky, rays of light. Maybe if that's holiness, we're all in trouble, right? Because our sky does not look like that outside. <laughs> it's all smoke and we're choking and we must be the most unholy people on earth. But, okay, maybe it's about heaven again, about the presence of God. And this is number three image on Google Images. This guy standing there with arms outstretched, lifted up towards the sky. I guess, again, it seems to be saying that holiness is about a man or woman, about reaching out to God or praising God. Um, is it about, like, having a certain posture, do you, like, does that kind of make you more holy if you, you know, some churches, they like to lift up their heads when they're singing. I notice none of us do that. We're all kind of too reserved and like, we don't want to draw attention to ourselves. But, you know, some churches, they really like think, well, maybe you're more spiritual if you do uh, those gestures. I, I don't know if you've seen this. Um, this is like a, kind of a humorous take on people, things people do when they're singing in, in those churches where they're hand-raising churches. There's a, they're a bit reserved, they get the elbow flap. Or they carry the TV, or the or the widescreen TV, or maybe my fish was this big and they're praising God like this, or I'm holding my baby, or the Mufasa, the, the Lion King, or they go okay, they go up the the levels of holiness, rookie, intermediate, oh, go up to pro, the dueling light bulbs, or the the goalposts and the heartburn, or or the, you know the village people, or Rocky, or uh, touchdown ex expert holiness. But holiness isn't it about our what we do with our body in church, is it? Raising your arms doesn't make you more spiritual. So in this talk, I want to look at three questions about holiness. This passage calls us to pursue holiness. And I want to look firstly at why is holiness so important? Why is holiness so important? Verse 14 and 15, if you're reading with me in your Bibles there, says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. 
This make every effort, the, the word used there means literally to pursue holiness, pursue peace and, and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. This is huge, right? It's saying that demonstrating holiness is your, in your life is the crucial criteria as to whether you have been saved. If there's no holiness demonstrated in your life, then you've got to ask questions. Do I have a genuine faith? And you may be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought we were just saved by grace alone through faith alone. And yes, that's true. But without holiness in your life, your faith is not real, not genuine. Because faith is proven genuine as we commit to living God's way, as we are transformed by the work of God in our lives. We're not saved by our level of holiness, but real faith produces holiness. Saving faith is not just believing some teaching or agreeing with some doctrines. Yep, agree with that. Yep, agree with that. Yep, agree with that. Saving faith is transforming faith. It changes us. And holiness is a litmus test of your faith. Is your faith genuine? Is it real? When I was in high school, I had a, uh, one of my hobbies was fish tanks. I had two fish tanks. I had a tropical fish tank and the goldfish fish tank. I loved fish tanks. And you know, the key thing about keeping fish tanks, the key responsibility, you know, they just care for themselves. You don't have to do too much, but you have to make sure their water is pure and clean and that it's dechlorinated and it's at the right pH, right? Because if it's at the wrong pH, you could be, your fish could get sick and die. So you get the litmus paper and you test the water and make sure that the pH is right. And holiness is like that pH test for our faith, for our Christian life. Now this doesn't mean we'll be perfectly holy. No, no one's perfect. But if there is not some growth in holiness, if there's not this demonstration that I belong to God and I'm seeking to live God's way in obedience to God in my life, then it raises big questions about our faith, doesn't it? This is driven home even further as we read on in verse 16 and 17 with the example of Esau. It says, See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, he wanted to inherit his blessing. Uh, he was rejected. Even though he saw the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Saying, don't be like Esau. We must be careful that we don't become presumptuous or careless, uh, even end up being rejected by God because of our unwise decisions. Without holiness, without, um, without this commitment to living God's way, religious devotion is meaningless. Spiritual experiences are useless. Passionate expressions of worship are empty. Without holiness, all our acts of service are worthless. Holiness is the essential criteria for coming to God, for a relationship with God, for heaven, for success in this life and the life to come. 
So that's point one. Why is holiness so important? That leads us to point two. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? Holiness is first and foremost an attribute of God, a characteristic of God. God is holy, completely unique, powerful and pure and set apart from all that is evil and wrong. We see this in the image of the two mountains that we read about next. In verse 18 to 24, there's this description of uh, the giving of the old covenant, uh, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, and how it was so frightening and so unbearable in this darkness, gloom and storm, and this threat of death if you approach the mountain If you go near the presence of God being revealed, you will die. When Chrissy and I went to uh, Tasmania, we went to see Cradle Mountain. You've probably seen photos of it. It's this this big, steep, rocky, um, you know, mountain just jutting up out of like out of the hills. And when we were going there, we were a bit concerned about the weather, but we thought, okay, we'll we'll go on this walk. Uh, looks okay. But then we got part way up, and um, there's um, this storm comes over. This um, this lightning and thunder, and it's quite frightening. The worst bit was though. There was a really steep staircase, rock staircase, and it had a, a chain on it. And you're like, wait a minute, we're in a thunder and lightning storm on a mountain holding on to a metal chain. It's basically a giant lightning rod and just, just so we don't fall off the mountain. It's pretty scary. But it was nowhere near Mount Sinai scary. That was insanely scary. This experience of darkness and gloom and storm and death to anyone who approaches God. And even Moses, God's appointed mediator between him and the people, is just trembling in fear. And this is not some arbitrary um, kind of a rule, is it? It's the reality of who God is. We cannot approach God because God is totally unique and pure and powerful and separate from all that is evil and wrong. That's God's holiness. It's like the sun. If we thought, oh yeah, I'm going to get on a space shuttle and I'm going to go to the sun, just do a tour of the sun, we wouldn't get very close before we'd be burnt up to nothing. It's ridiculous. And it's similar with God. God is so powerful, so pure, like the sun, you just can't approach him. Then we read in verse 22, um, but, it's a powerful little word, but, but you have not come to that mountain. Not that scary, awful, frightening mountain. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. This is a very different mountain, isn't it? A mountain of beauty and joy and peace. It's so happy. It's this heavenly city filled with angels praising God. And why are these angels so happy? It's because of these people 
called the firstborn, the winners, the heirs, the people whose names are inscribed in heaven. A lot of students who have just completed year 12 will be eagerly awaiting their HSC results on December the 17th. Or maybe not so eagerly <laughs> awaiting their results, depending on how confident they are, I guess. Um, and, you know, with those results, after that, they'll be anticipating an offer in a university to get the course they want to study. And if they get that offer from the university, they've got, I've got my place. They haven't started uni yet, but their name is down. They've got their place. And this is what's making, like, uh, you know, they make them really happy, right? They'll be stoked when they, if they get their place in the course they want. And this is what making the angel so happy in heaven is that your name is there if you trust in Jesus, that your name is written down, that you're on the list, and they are praising God. They are stoked that you're going to be there. In the same way as uh, someone getting their uni offer and just celebrating, these angels are celebrating. And when we accept the offer of Jesus, our names are enrolled in heaven. We're not there yet, but we've got that place assured. Read on in verse 23. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You know, the fourth image in those Google images search that I did was this one. Well, Google got something hugely right, right? This one, the image of the cross of Jesus and the grave with light coming out of it. Jesus' death and resurrection, his blood shed for us. That is what makes us holy. Holiness is something that we have through Jesus' death and resurrection. We cannot approach God in ourselves, but in Jesus, God has made a way for us to approach him. We are imperfect, but God has made us perfect in Jesus. Through the new covenant, the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross as he died to bear the sins of, of us. You know, Abel's blood, it said, the blood sprinkled that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What did Abel's blood do? Abel's blood, we read in Genesis, cried out, accusing his brother of the guilt of murdering him. Abel's blood speaks to God of guilt. But Jesus' blood speaks to God of our guilt taken away. Jesus' blood speaks of our guilt paid for in full, our guilt no more. So we can come to God, the Holy One. So we share in God's purity, his power and his uh, separateness from all that is wrong and evil. We've been going through this, I think, throughout our series in depth in Hebrews and how this works, how the cross is the fulfilment 
of the whole Old Testament sacrificial system, how Jesus is the better sacrifice, the better tabernacle, the better covenant, the better priesthood. So holiness for us is about being saved by God through Jesus, set apart for God. And this means belonging to God, being part of God's family, being consecrated to God as God's people. And as a result, being totally committed to God. It's saying in all of my life, God, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm not my own. I belong to you, my creator and my king. And I'm going to live your way. So there's those two elements of holiness, accepting God, what God has done for us in Jesus, the objective reality that never changes. We are enrolled in heaven. We have our guilt taken away. And then the subjective element of living out what God has done for us in Jesus. Um, Working hard at pursuing that in our life. It's kind of like this. Imagine that... uh, there's a young orphan girl hiding among the rubbish bins in a dirty back alley. And uh, a wealthy couple come along and find her there and they take pity on her and take her in to their home. At first, she doesn't trust them. She runs away and hides in the corner. When they give her food, she maybe uh, snatches it and, and runs off. But then they, she learns, oh, these people actually love me. They care for me. She eventually lets them um, give her some new clothes. She takes a bath. She lets them give her a room and uh, she lets them adopt her as their own child. And then legally, objectively, she's a member of the family. But she's still got to learn to live like it. She's got to learn how to live in that family with loving parents when she's used to acting like a street kid and fending for herself. She needs to now see herself as a dearly loved daughter and learn to accept the provision, the warmth, the loving care that this family provides. And it's like that with us and God. We've been made holy through Jesus. And now we have to learn to live like we're holy. Because we're living out that reality that we already have in Christ. So that's point two. What does it mean to be holy? So lastly, point three. How can we grow in holiness? How can we grow in holiness? In Hebrews 12, 14, I pointed out that the word make every effort, the words make every effort in the NIV, come from a word to pursue, to pursue. We are called to literally pursue holiness. And sometimes it can feel like an uphill run. This scene seems very idyllic, like running in the country, um, birds flying, sun shining. But sometimes... Running the life of race of holiness might feel like running down a crowded city street with bushfire smoke choking your lungs, and it's really, really hard to do. But we're called, no matter what, to pursue holiness. And I just want to bring out four points um, from the passage that it talks about how we can do this. There are more, but I just want to bring out four. And they're four Ps of holiness, four Ps of pursuing holiness. So firstly, we need to pursue Peace. 
Check it out in verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Being holy means pursuing peace in our relationships. And, you know, remember Jesus said, um, if you have a, a problem with someone, if someone has something against you and you come to the altar to offer your gift to God, first go and get right with that person and then come back and offer your gift to God. Jesus strangely prioritizes our peace with each other above our worship of God. It's that important. He says, make yourself right with others who have something against you. You know, I've always tr tried to live by Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it's out of our control, right? And someone has something against us and we've tried to resolve it, we try to resolve it, we try to resolve it, and we can't do anything about it. And this verse tells us that's okay. You tried, you did your best, there's nothing more you could do. But how can we work for peace? Um, Matthew gives us some great instructions on this. Um, Matthew 18, verse 15, and I want to read it to you. Uh, this is Jesus, um, Matthew quoting Jesus directly. Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen to you, take along one or two others so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen to you, tell it to the church, meaning the church leaders. And if they refuse to listen to even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, an outsider. You go, okay. This gives us some really helpful ways to resolve wrongs. Matthew 18:15. remember it. If you have problem with someone or if... If someone sinned against you, this is saying it's our responsibility to go to them and tell them. If you think someone's wronged you in some way, we need to lovingly go to them and tell them that we feel wrong by them and try and work for peace in that. To keep peace with others, we need to let them know if we think they've wronged us. And if they don't listen, okay, we've got the, the line of things we should do there. And at this point, one or two things will happen. Some, when you take someone else with you, if they didn't listen to you at first, um, then the other person may say, hey, you're out of line. You shouldn't be criticising them. You're the one with the problem, right? Um, or they may go, no, you're, I think you're right. Um, let's go and talk to them about it and try and resolve it. And the, the point of all this is that resolution of conflict or misunderstanding is really important because um, conflict, broken relationships are so damaging. We see why in verse 15 of um, Hebrews 12, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. If we don't resolve conflicts by leaving them festering, it's like a bitter root. Literally, this is talking about a kind of a poisonous plant that poisons people. You know, if you had uh, stinging nettles growing in, in your front yard, would you just leave them there so everyone coming to your house goes, ah, what are these stinging nettles stinging me? Uh, 
You wouldn't, right? You would get rid of them. And so with um, broken relationships, hurt, bitterness, you need to pull out those weeds um, so that you can uh, not be causing this bitterness and poisoning and hurting of people. If left unaddressed, conflicts, misunderstandings and disagreements can cause this kind of bitterness and poisoning. And that would be a terrible thing in God's church, right? Where God's church, God's people are supposed to be people of peace, where God's peace is seen and lived out in loving relationships. Jesus called us to be peacemakers, to make peace with people, not peace fakers who kind of go, no, I'm just not going to talk about it. Uh, it's just too hard. So we need to work at making peace with others. The second thing, um, the second P of our four P's of pursuing holiness, firstly, pursuing peace. Secondly, pursuing purity. You can read with me in verse 16. It says, see that no one is sexually immoral. Why is this highlighted? It's talking about sexual purity. Well, sex is a good gift from God. Sex is given by God to be enjoyed in a loving marriage relationship between one man and one woman for life. That's the biblical view of how sex is to be enjoyed. And it's a very powerful and beautiful thing. But when taken out of its God-given context, because it is so powerful, sex can be very destructive. So sexual immorality that's warned against here is anything that is against God's plan, God's good plan for sex. And taking sex outside of God's plan, it's, it's kind of like taking a fire out of the fireplace where it's meant to be. In the fireplace, the fire is good. It warms the house. It's beautiful. Children love it and stand mesmerized by a fire, right? We all probably do. We stand, we just like, wow, fire is so beautiful. Sex is a beautiful gift from God, and in the right place, it has a good purpose. But you take that fire and you put it on the carpet in the middle of the floor, and or you put it uh, in dry bushland when there's catastrophic fire danger, and soon the whole country is smoke choking on the smoke, and um, passively smoking 30 cigarettes a day by being out in this uh, this terrible choking smoke fire, it catches on, it rages destructively, it burns down 200 million hectares of, of trees and forests. And like that, sexual sin can be hugely destructive. So we are called to pursue holiness and avoid sexual immorality. This means things like establishing good boundaries and appropriate relationships. Um, one of the things in our church that we do to make sure there's good boundaries around this is the safe ministry training. And that has some good principles for everyone. Um, uh, don't let uh, our child ever be alone with uh, a person just so that everything's above reproach. But there's, so there's never any possibility that anything wrong could happen. And the same principle can apply to our relationships generally. Never put yourself in a place where something wrong could happen or where there could be even be the perception of wrong. Um, and we can apply these same principles to um, sexual purity with the internet. Uh, appropriate boundaries, accountability, safety and openness. And I don't want to make rules about this kind of thing, but I would think that generally 
uh, a, a good standard would be that we have openness and accountability with our internet usage. It's recommended that um, you know you don't have devices without a filter. Uh, Keep the computer in a public space. Openness, transparency, accountability can keep us from sexual temptations that are so destructive. So that's the second one. Pursue holiness in pursuing purity. Third one is pursuing holiness in pursuing right priorities. If you, uh, if you look at the description that goes on from talking about Esau, he sold his whole birthright for a single meal. right? And sometimes we can be flippant and we can be careless and we can make other things in our life that are really nowhere near as important as God's kingdom, God's plans, our church family. We can let other things just dominate our life and take over our life that are nowhere near as important. And we can find ourselves walking down a very different path. It happens one small step at a time of just changing our priorities. And we can find ourselves walking away from God. The warning here is make sure your priorities are right. Don't be like Esau and find yourself rejected because you are flippant, you are just a bit careless. Make sure you put in place God's priorities in your life. Pursue God's priorities. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all these other things that you want for, that you seek for, that you're searching for, you'll get them as well. Seek first God's kingdom. So pursue right priorities. And fourthly, how do we pursue holiness? We pursue the right posture before God. And I'm not talking about your literal physical posture, whether you're raising your hands or not, but read with me at the end of this passage. In verse 28 and 29, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Since we are receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. It's talking about coming to God, whether in church on Sunday or all through the week, coming to God with a posture of thankfulness. Is that how you come to God? With thankfulness for what God has done for you in Jesus. It talks about coming to God with this posture of reverence, holding God as holy and awe. While we don't come to that scary mountain, we know that God is completely holy and we never presume on God's grace. We never treat God with disrespect and carelessness. But we come to God maintaining that posture of reverence and awe before him. Are you thankful for what God has done for you in Jesus? Have you told God that? Does your life suggest that? Is your day-to-day posture as you go about life one of thankfulness and 
reverence and awe. And how do we cultivate this thankfulness and reverence and awe? How do we maintain this through the hard, long journey of life? Eugene Peterson said that the life of holiness, the life of faith in Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. How do we do this? This um, pursuing this right posture before God in the in the long um, obedience in the same direction. Things like practicing the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading, prayer, meeting together, silence and solitude. Not letting our lives become overcrowded with with the things of the world, the things that would distract us and take us away from God. Remembering generosity, uh, gratitude, thankfulness, and seeking to put in place every day the kind of things we know in our heart are right. So let me pray as we as we finish up today. Lord God, we we thank you for the amazing love you have shown us in Jesus. We thank you that we are holy and we pray that you would help us to live out holy lives, to live as your children. And Lord, we pray that you will bring about in us by your spirit the these good things that will help us to pursue holiness. Lord, that you will help us to pursue peace, that you'll help us to pursue purity, that you'll help us to pursue right priorities, and that you will help us to pursue the right posture before you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.